0: Hello and welcome to the EurActive AgriFood podcast. I'm Natasha Foot. I'm Julia Dam.
1: And I'm Gerardo Fortuna.
0: And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from EurActive's AgriFood news team. Well, it's been a while since we've been here. How does it feel to be back in the podcast room? Well, not for you, Julia, but Gerardo, <laughs> feeling good to be back? It's quite, uh,
1: it's quite warm, uh, like uh, <laughs> because of this, um, you know, anti-sound panel, but.
0: We'll have to tweet out a picture of us back in the yeah. back in the podcast studio. Well, so it's been a, I mean, it's, we had a little break, a few little technical things we've been doing to try and make our podcast better, uh, try and make it easier for you guys to access. Um, but now we're back and uh, raring to go. <laughs>
1: so, sounds like a threat. Now we're back. <laughs> so basically, Tash or Julia or whoever want to say what happened in these three weeks. now, I'm jogging and jogging. <laughs> Well, it would be hard
0: to cover actually, because food has been, I mean, it's been an increasing theme, of, you know, it's been increasingly important uh, with the Ukraine war in the last few weeks. So, you know, there's been lots of things going on, different fights, different, all talking about food security again and again. Um, I mean, this has been really the main theme that we've seen in the last three weeks.
1: Indeed, um, food security is actually changing. Uh, probably could lead to a shift in the paradigm. Let's see how it goes because uh, it's actually a story that you... just in
0: the paradigm. Yeah. Big claim from Gerardo.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because (laughs) I... I mean, it's something you actually reported last week, Mm -hmm. uh, the um, hearing with the Timmermans. Mm Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think think the food security debate is kind of deepening some... some uh, maybe already existing cracks between different factions of... uh, definitely within the commission, but definitely mm-hmm. between kind of, um, it's difficult to say because I don't, don't want to say proponents of the Green Deal versus the farmers. This is a very old school kind of idea of being pitted against each other, you know, food production versus um, being environmental. And that. It isn't. I think it's a bit more complex than that, you know, it's more nuanced than that. But there is definitely a lot of tension over the the reaction to food security and how we should, you know, how the EU should to, should respond to the Ukraine war. And if I had to summarise it, we've seen a quite an interesting um, conflict between, on the one hand, we've had Commissioner Janusz uh, Wojciechowski, that's the agricultural commissioner, um, really still pushing on this production narrative. We have to produce more. This is the reaction. He's saying, in his words, says, this is simply prudent, you know, considering the fact that we there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty, we don't know where. This was going. How long it will be? How long it will be going on for?
1: And even if you if you so uh, today, he tweeted uh, about this uh, meeting with um, Crop Life, so the mm. pesticide uh, uh, lobby, uh, plant protection products lobby. Um, let's use the the whole uh, uh, the official term. The official term. Mm. and um, and uh, I could say that four months ago. Okay, this, this is an assumption, but. Uh, at the very top of, uh, because he was basically listing all the topics that they touched on together Mm -hmm. with the um, head of this uh, trade association. Four months ago, he probably would have talked about the sustainable use of the uh, pesticide directive, um, actually regulation, um, revision, uh, sustainable farming and so on, while he basically listed food security. Producing more and 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 all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also changing the agenda of the of the the Giagri Wojciechowski and and so on, mm. which actually is changing in a way that is quite uh, liked by the farmers. Uh, we've seen recently also Kopakujek a quite active. Uh, I mean. Koba the farmers, the farmers, uh, the EU farmers association uh, was quite, um, I would say, not super happy in the past uh, about uh, the agriculture commission and now they, they seem to be on the same page when it comes to food security. And uh, But as you said, also Timmermans uh, well, yeah, because played a role in this. Uh...
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Vice President Franz Timmermans waded into the argument, uh, as you said, last week. Um, and, and basically, yeah, as I said, in the one corner, we've got Commissioner Wojciechowski. In the other corner, really quite pitted against each other, um, Vice President Timmermans is basically calling this narrative that's been around food shortages and food insecurity, he's called this irresponsible and dishonest. Which is, I mean, it's quite a strong, quite a strong kind of statement from him.
1: He also um, again tweeted uh, the the day after a yeah. very long thread.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: with lots of number on why, you know, to to, to sustain basically the, uh, his main argument. No.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's really wading in on, on the food security side of things. And he was saying that he also basically accused the critics of the farm to fork strategy as using a war as a pretext to derail the EU's green farming ambitions. So it was like, yeah, a very strong statement from him. He's very against this production narrative. He's saying the fears around insecurity are unfounded. Um, he was saying that pe- people that are pretending we have a risk of food shortages in the EU, um, you know, that's not the case. He was, he was really, um, really going for it. And he was pushing much more on this idea of logistics and finance being the problem rather than the availability of
1: food. Yeah, which is basically the, the again, an, another core argument of the envy side of the food debate at the EU level. So basically, for instance, it's food waste, not uh, um, food production, uh, the problem. Again, it's, uh, as you said at the beginning. It's
0: this old thing that we kind of thought we'd moved through. Yeah. Or moved back. Like, obviously, food board. security is yeah. always important, but I feel like there was some this kind of, idea that we'd kind of moved past this, yeah. um, this direct conflict and, you know, me versus you and production versus environment. I feel like we'd kind of <laughs> got over this.
1: With, with, yeah, I mean. And I, this has
0: pulled it all back up again. It's like, you know.
1: At a certain point with the Farm to Fork, we said, okay, at least they agreed on an idea of sustainability. Mm. Uh, but now it's basically, we're probably starting again from the scratch. Why I'm saying so, OK, let's uh, connect in the dots, which is basically the job of a journalist. So why it's important for me um, what uh, what Timmermans, uh, you know, why the hearing was important in this debate? Because it was basically asking the support of the NV Committee to not uh, lose to, ground to be
0: his ally yeah in, in
1: defending the farm to fork implementation mm. so this is the real message apart from again this uh, the bigger one is food security is not, is, uh, is not that a thing in europe uh, mm-hmm. which is actually true i mean it's in the sense that uh, food availability is yeah. not uh, is not a problem uh, but the real message is this one. So basically it's a, it's a, let's defend the farm to fork.
0: And be on my side. But I mean really they're the <laughs> gathering on my side. allies. It's like a how can I say food production versus food accessibility and environmental stuff. That's the old argument and also envy versus angry is rearing its head again.
1: Um, and uh, another interesting aspect is what happened this week in Strasbourg with the Organic action plan. Okay, the organic action plan is uh, is um, the commission's ambition when it comes to organic farming. Mm. Um, there was a reply to this ambition coming from the MEPs. It was an own initiative, so it's not an amendment to. Uh, yeah. We
0: don't need to lose our minds too much about this. Yeah,
1: but <laughs> still, there was an interesting point, mm. uh, which was basically the main target of organic. Uh, farming production, which is twenty five percent, by, by twenty thirty. Right? Very good, very good.
0: <laughs> Putting him on because, the because
1: I'm reading very good article on the, on the... <laughs> And uh, I'm saying this because Natasha is covering organic <laughs> agriculture since the organic um, action plan since the announcement of the Farm to Fork. Um, but yeah, the twenty five percent target disappeared from. Uh, not disappeared, but no, I mean, I it wasn't it. mentioned.
0: It wasn't mentioned. There was in the in the report. A uh, green MEP put an amendment in. He wanted the amendment to the report to specifically, like an explicit mention to this twenty five percent target. And
1: and it was scrapped.
0: And it was scrapped. It didn't. It didn't pass. So MEPs did not want this this farm to fork target to be in this report. So in their stance on this organic action plan from the commission do I want to mention of the of the target they are more pushing on market driven solutions support for member states you know for national action plans um with this idea of increasing production in line with demand
1: and i will add um a last dot uh, it's uh, it's actually in the uh, in one of the euractivs briefs um the energy one the, inv- the green brief it was um uh a top story of this brief by our colleague uh, Frederick Simon who is the uh, Energy Hub editor and he was basically collecting the thoughts of the chair of the Envy Committee Pascal Canfan mm. he he's basically fearing that the EPP so the biggest um, political party in the European Parliament could abandon the support to the Green Deal um again at the moment it's it's a very complicated situation within the e p p uh sometimes they are split uh they are not a very they're not very stable in uh, in anything but still um there's something uh, uh, happening in the parliament that could be a direct consequence of uh, of uh, what's happening with the Ukraine war and also with the, not only from the agriculture perspective, but also from energy um, and and the transition in general, transition toward a more sustainable uh, way of producing stuff in, in Europe.
0: I feel like I've blinked and gone back to like... 2020.
1: Yeah, all these,
0: yeah. All these conversations that we indeed, were indeed, dead and buried. Just
1: wow. So there's there's <laughs> asking for support. Uh, there's this, uh, let's say, um, no avoidance. I would say MEPs forgot about the one of the, not the main, but a very important target in the farm to fork, which is the food component of the. Green Deal, and also the EPP not no longer so sure about the uh, Green Deal implementation. So uh, something it's been
0: a l- big three weeks, basically, yeah. what we're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed.
0: So continuing with the theme of food security, um, we actually spoke with Sarah Tabor who is a crop scientist and also a consultant. And she's been taking a really deep dive into the current market situation uh, in light of the Ukraine war. So Sarah had a lot of really interesting insights to share with us about the situation. We had to condense it down for the podcast, but here are the best bits from our conversation.
1: Yeah. And uh, for instance, for Sarah, uh, the issue of food security is uh, also very personal.
2: Despite you know, being a highly educated person who's in the middle class now in the United States, I had a lot of experiences with food insecurity in my life. I could not get enough food. I could not afford it. And so to see people talking about food shortages and hunger as an issue of there's not enough food, well, I was very hungry in a country where we have far too much.
0: So according to Sarah, the real risk at the moment is panic.
2: I was able to figure out that a lot of the the reporting and the panic, um, You know, like we do have some real supply chain problems, but the way they're being interpreted is completely, completely off. And it's leading us to handle it in ways that are actually making the problem worse um, and are going to potentially actually be the source of hunger for people in affected nations as opposed to the food supply chain interruptions itself.
1: And she also broke down the facts and figures uh, from Ukraine.
2: I think when people hear Ukraine provides 30% of the world's wheat exports, what they hear is Ukraine is the only place where you can grow 30% of the world's wheat. They get this impression that there's a limited supply of wheat in the world, that wheat can only grow in certain places, and Ukraine was it, and now it's out. And that is absolutely not the case. It is actually very, very easy to grow more wheat um, because a lot of people in the crop world saw this conflict kind of brewing back in November, which is wheat planting season in a lot of the world. They actually started planting more wheat back then. So a lot of the supply chain... uh, shortfall was actually already being filled by the time the public realized this was a problem (laughs) there's actually a saying in the crop world uh by the time your crop makes it into the news it's time to stop planting um (laughs) because this kind of like um boom bust and then like public panic cycle when the problem was actually already being solved is so common in agriculture there's a saying about it right That's kind of cherry picking statistics to make it sound as dire as possible, which is a choice. So
0: according to Sarah, there's plenty of food to go around, but it's redistributing it to where it needs to be that's, that's the biggest challenge.
2: The world supply, we have plenty. So India and Australia have both had bumper crops of wheat this year, they're both exporting right now. So those boats, instead of going to Ukraine, can go to India or Australia. However, instead of a week away from Lebanon, India is 2 weeks away and Australia is a month or more away. So the same 1000 ton ship can no longer haul as much, right? So the way that works is if it takes 2 weeks to get to Australia, so then a round trip is 4 weeks, then you can make 13 trips per year. So the same 1000 ton ship can only bring 13000 tons instead of 26000 tons. Right? And then if we have to go to Australia, that could be up to maybe a 2 month round trip. So Now you can only make six trips per year. So the same thousand ton ship can only bring 6,000 tons to a country that's used to getting 26,000 tons out of that shipping capacity.
1: How to do this, though, is a huge challenge and varies from country to country.
2: So because each country's food supply is different, you know, they all have a different port situation. They all have different internal distribution. They all have different economies, uh, different levels of internal inequality. Uh, different capacities to grow their own crops and to change how quickly they're growing a different mix of crops. That's different for every country. And so there there is no one size fits all what governments should do, right? Because what one government where they can grow lots of food and they need to maybe switch to more staple crops. I think like Egypt still grows quite a bit of food, but they switched away from wheat. Um, Historically, like Ukraine, they're a massive uh, wheat exporter and have been for thousands of years. Um, but in more recent years, they've switched to more high-value crops like dates, figs, you know, just like high-value crops like that instead of wheat. So if you're Egypt, maybe you want to switch to growing more of your own wheat in country. They have some programs in place to do that. A place like Yemen, they don't have water. They're not going to be able to start growing their own crops. So for them, they're completely dependent on foreign aid, um, almost entirely. Like they do grow a small amount of wheat, but it's it's very limited to, I think, natural rainfall and some some natural irrigation, or excuse me, some some installed irrigation. So a place like Yemen, you know, even without the conflict that they have, which has wrecked their infrastructure, um, their ability to grow more food, more food is still going to be limited. Um, and then they have the infrastructure and conflict challenges on top of that. So a place like Yemen is in a very different situation from a place like Egypt. So the take home message, don't panic. It's kind of funny to me that we actually do have a lot of, of pieces that are working the way they're supposed to and things that really did fall into place when they were needed. And we don't talk about that. I don't know, like... If we're talking about actually solving problems and like treating this food supply chain crunch as a problem that needs to be solved, we should be talking about the solutions that are already in place, how we can strengthen them and how we can replicate them elsewhere. But we're not. We're just running around screaming, oh my God, where's the food? When the lack of food isn't even the problem. <laughs> so again, like, um, yeah, like kind of looking at critically as a supply chain problem rather than, oh my God, there's a shortage, is just a lot more useful. And I think is going to help us from getting stuck into really unproductive um Cycles of panicking and they're not doing anything.
3: So I thought we could start this week's Flavor of the Week off with a little riddle. Um, now, Gerardo uh, and Natasha already know what Flavor we're talking about, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have posted a riddle to you, but we're going to do it kind of interactively. I'm going to say the riddle. and then But I'm gonna I, I like
1: to win, so... I'm- <laughs>
3: Congrats. <laughs> you, go on, go with the riddle.
0: We'll pretend that we don't know the answer. Yeah.
3: And, and I'll leave like three seconds for the for the listeners to make up their own mind and then we reveal. So uh, everyone ready? So uh, I'm going to name some varieties of the food we're talking about and you see if we can guess what the food actually is.
2: Mm. So we
3: have Laura, it's Cara, uh Charlotte, and we have one called Rooster. Uh, so I'm giving. I'm gonna give three seconds for people to to make up their minds. Three, two, one, and the big revelation is, it's potatoes.
1: Potato.
0: Okay.
3: Potatoes. Wow, surprise!
1: May I add another another uh, No, technology? you may not. It's uh, it's very no say. no no no. It's very famous in Belgium. I never heard about it before. It is the Nicola or Nicola.
0: Potato.
1: Potato. Yeah. yeah. It's it's. Uh, it's from ninety. It, it, it entered in the in the French catalog in nineteen eighty two. So it's quite Why recent. Why do you
0: know this?
1: Yeah, yeah because I, I mean Nicola is uh, it's a very Italian name. Uh, so yeah, there's also Nicola by the on yes, on Nicola since uh, we're talking about that, and, and they're super good for uh, for frit for the French Belgian fries. Sorry.
0: Uh, I see. Uh, okay. So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Or maybe now okay. no, we're gonna we're we gonna receive a lot of uh, complaints from the Belgians saying, "No, English I just true we used the Nicola for uh, for uh, potage and so." Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> okay, um, yeah, it's actually no coincidence that we're talking about potatoes this week because they actually fit in quite nicely with um, what we talked about before, which is um, food security, um, because potatoes are actually a key staple for ensuring food security especially in developing countries um, where potato consumption has actually increased significantly over the past decades. Uh, So, for example, according to a 2019 study, 50% of the world's food energy needs are provided by potatoes, rice, wheat, or maize. Um, And as you already see, potatoes are the only non-cereal in this list. So we had rice, wheat, maize, all cereals, Um, and potatoes are the only main staple that aren't a cereal um and actually potatoes um have the largest non are the largest non cereal food crop worldwide in terms of area
1: and also uh, the united nation and its uh, food and agriculture organ- organization the fao also highly recommend potatoes as a food security crop to feed a growing world population One reason for this is their nutrient quality. Uh, Potatoes are a fat free source of energy, and some researchers call them a one stop shop for human nutrition as they provide a wide range of nutrients. But while potatoes are on the rise to feed developing countries, they're actually less and less popular in the EU, and consumption is declining. Uh, Researchers say that. Some reason for this are that uh, pasta and rice are on the rise, or rice. (laughs) Terrible. No, 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 no. it's actually very good. So are on the rise as competing major sources of carbohydrates. And uh, the time it takes to prepare potatoes is putting people... Off. may I add something okay. <laughs> the second break?
0: <laughs> you always look to me for permission. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, know, I know you don't really like my, my breaks.
0: I, I love them. Go on, you may add something. Because
1: I, I was uh, two weeks it. ago, no, two weeks ago I was in, um, in um, Paris and I was at this pretty uh, street in the 11th around this month which is actually a good part of the city. Well,
0: it's quite a brag, this, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm asking... I was uh,
0: strolling through Paris.
1: I'm, I'm asking you, Tash, because she used to live in a very fancy <laughs> district of Paris. <laughs> um, yeah, and there was this uh, avenue parmentier, no? Mm-hmm. And there was like a tiny introduction. Uh, not introduction, I mean, they're basically mm-hmm. presenting this character, uh, agronomist who introduced the culture of potato.
0: <laughs> wow. That's a big claim. <laughs>
1: the culture of potato, because I know if you know the, the story of this uh, guy, okay. Parmentier. Here
0: we go.
1: Parmentier was, a, um, again, was an agronomist, no? Mm-hmm. Um, and he got captured uh, by the Prussian, actually, the, the Prussian is not the, the Germans, but yeah, basically the modern German, like Julia could be a Prussian. Um, <laughs> And uh, during the the captivity, he found out all the uh, good aspects of potatoes, the one that Julia listed uh, before. Uh, So he he didn't catch any disease, Uh, he was uh, very well treated uh, and so on. And so it started to introduce this this, uh, ingredient in the French uh, diet because there was a bit of, um, you know, uh, stigma toward uh, potatoes because it was used for uh, basically animal feed at the time. Mm. So I basically started some kind of uh, fancy lunches and dinners uh, with uh, Benjamin Franklin. It and say
0: propaganda. Yeah,
1: like with the, the food influencer of, of that time. So he probably could have invited me. <laughs>
0: if only he'd had Instagram.
1: Yeah. But it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work? No, it didn't work. So yeah. he basically got from the king some lands uh, around Paris. And uh, of course he was growing potatoes and he basically hired some uh, um, guards, like basically the army, the French army. Uh, to guard on the potato crop so people around will start thinking okay guys oh I
0: was thinking it's valuable
1: there there's something valuable there i <laughs> yeah. want the thing and he basically allowed the guards to be bribed like okay if they're going to bribe to get what what you're uh, uh, guarding and go that. ahead take the bribe whatever you know no matter the amount and so on and also if you see some theft attempt Try not to be super, super, like, try not to do your job.
0: it sounds like the dream job.
1: Absolutely. That's right.
0: Guard it, but don't guard it well. Yeah. Take money for bribes. let
1: that, say a lot of uh, your level of ethics, but... <laughs> that
0: says a lot about my journalism.
1: <laughs> Indeed. This uh, is a very bad... <laughs> Of course, she's joking, <laughs> yeah. she's joking. Uh, no, so basically, Parmentier did a, did a lot of stuff for uh, for potatoes, no? And
0: thank goodness for that, otherwise you wouldn't have had Aligo.
1: Indeed, and a what lot we of... What do you do without Aligo? A lot of dishes. Aligo,
2: how do you say it,
0: yeah. Hmm. Isn't there even something called Ashi Parmentier?
3: Indeed, indeed. Yes, right.
1: There's also a Parmentier Potage, right. a lot of stuff. Because, oh, guys, uh, this guy introduced the wow. potato culture, culture in right. France, so... He basically uh, made it
3: a limited edition and then people wanted it. Indeed.
0: So smart.
1: So, nice he disguise. adopted it. Indeed. It actually okay, didn't sorry. work either. So it's basically...
0: Well, something worked. Uh, cause
1: no, something worked. Out. It's probably like a book of recipes in the 19th century that was very famous in France and introduced the... But anyway, it was a nice attempt from Parmentier and... Uh, yeah. oh,
0: nice try, par, Parmentier. Parmentier, yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's switch over now and look at the production side. Uh, so, potato production is actually highly concentrated in the EU. So, the bulk of potatoes comes from just five member states that's Germany, Poland, France, the Netherlands, and Belgium. Um, of course, we're very well known for our potato based uh, <laughs> produce. And much like demand, EU potato production is also declining, and sharply, because between 2000, the years 2000 and 2020, um, the cultivated areas used to grow potatoes almost halved, which is actually really quite dramatic in, in 20 years. Um, so anyway, this was we had lots of numbers, lots of uh, lots of stories here, but let's wrap up with a fun fact. You might know that potatoes originally come from South America and were only brought to Europe after Europeans discovered them and then started to colonise the Americas, but did you know that during this early time, Europeans actually did not want potatoes to eat them? They were actually imported as ornamental plants because of their lush foliage. And they do have lush foliage, don't they? No. no. I am a fan of their foliage. The potato,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
0: Beautiful, beautiful
1: foliage. I, I also, I mean, Parmentier oh, used
0: no. to... No no, 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 no. No, 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 we're done now. As, as a oh, gift,
1: uh, gave some potato flowers to the king and the queen of France.
0: And that's all from us. And this week, like every week, the Your Active agri podcast was produced by Your Active's agri News team. That's Gerardo Fortuna, Natasha Furt and Julia Dam, with support of Evi Chiori.
1: And this podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify.
0: Be
3: sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Julia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week.